You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Good morning. It's really good to be with you guys. I uh, post COVID, I, I, I think I can say this with confidence. I'll never take for granted just being with God's people singing again. It's just so beautiful to look around the room, seeing everyone's eyes closed and their hands raised, just praising God. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, got the privilege of seeing the picture of me that's circulating around the church. Um, John asked uh, for a picture uh, of me to speak, and I jokingly sent him a picture of me standing on the dock with a, my kid's Batman mask on, um, and he decided to use that as the official promo um, for, for me. So everyone else has these nice, clean shots, and uh, I have Batman mask on. So with friends and family like that, you don't really need enemies in your life, so that's a joy. Um, but it is a real picture of me. And, and I, I think it is helpful to know that a, as I get up here and speak, as any pastor gets up here and speak, we are just normal people. We are, we are not the super Christians who have come down from on high to bless you with our presence before we recede back into the presence of God. We, we don't have special access. All of us, as we just heard through Christ by the Spirit, have access into the presence of God. And if I'm honest, uh, yesterday, I got in a big fight with my wife, um, and it was mostly my fault. Uh, Friday, my son gets done with soccer practice, and instead of just encouraging him and, well done, 10-year-old kid who's just out here trying to have fun, I decided to blast him for what I thought was a lack of effort in, in trying. And then Thursday, I, yelled, I rolled my window down and yelled at a guy in traffic. So that's what, that's what leads up to me being with you guys here this morning. Um, so I'm thankful for the grace of God genuinely, and it, it, it is genuinely a miracle that I can stand before you and present the hope of the gospel. So we're, we're in the book of Ephesians at my church. We haven't actually got to this passage yet, but this passage at the end of chapter two is the pinnacle of the first three chapters of the book. This is, this is the height. This is everything Paul is saying, both before and after this, leads up to this point. It all culminates in this section, especially 19 through 22. So chapter one, it begins with the riches of God that he's poured out into our lives through the person of Christ. He says that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Every one of them, not just some of them, every single blessing that God has is ours through Christ. It says that we're adopted as sons and daughters of the king. Once we were not a people, once we were in the world dead, without hope, God brought us in to his family. It says that all of his infinite riches, he's now generously, even recklessly poured it out on us. God knows we're going to abuse his grace and his love, and yet he still gives, and he still pours it out on us. Paul then, in the next section, at the end of chapter one, he prays over us, and he prays these things. He says that, I pray that they would know the hope of Christ, that they would know the love of Christ, and that they would know the power of Christ. If you want to know how to pray, Read the end of Ephesians chapter 1. It's a blueprint for what it looks like to pray for yourselves and to pray for the church. Chapter 2 uh, begins and it tells us who we were before Christ. 
that we were dead in our sins and trespasses without hope in this world. But that God, being rich in mercy, has saved us, that he set us free because of the finished work of Christ. And I've heard probably, I'm not kidding, no less than 100 sermons on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But I've heard very few sermons on the second half of this chapter. Verse 8, for you've been saved uh, by grace. You've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. We love that verse. And it's a great verse. I don't have to bring my resume to this God. I don't have to impress him. I don't have to put my makeup on and get it all together so that God might let me in the door. No, it's faith. It's grace. It's freely given and, and received by us. But that's not the pinnacle of the gospel. That's not the height where Paul is headed in his argument, and that's not the height where the entire Bible is headed. For Paul, the pinnacle is verse 22. Look back down at verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So why is this? Why do we so often stop with forgiveness, but Paul goes on to talk about presence? So to understand that, let's back up. And I'll tell you a little story about myself, and then we'll take a journey through Scripture. So it's been a while since I've been here. I was last here in uh, 2016. I look back at it. October 2016 was the last time. I pre- How many of y'all were around in 2016 here? Just curious. Okay, quite a, quite a f- few new faces in here. A few things have changed in our country since 2016, right? We've had a few contentious presidents along the path. We've had some other hot-button issues as well. Uh, viruses and vaccines. We've had race uh, protests and riots, election protests. Now we have like Chinese spy balloons floating through the air and all kinds. I mean, there's a lot going on. I thought about in response to John using that picture, just throwing out a loud opinion on one of these things and then letting him deal with it after I leave. Um, But I think that would take too much away from what God has for us. Um, But one of the other things that's been hot over the last few years is the housing market. I don't know how many of you guys are realtors or have bought and sold in the last few years, but it is out of control. Um, for a two-year stretch, I was working part-time at the church, but then I was doing handyman work and flipping houses as well. And it was wild. People paying 20 50% over asking prices on houses as is sight unseen. I just want a place to live. Here's all my money is what it felt like for a while. So we moved back to Asheville in 2015, and when we did, we, we ended up building a house. It was a great house, custom house. A builder friend of ours built it. It, it was amazing. No, no problems ever. It was brand new. Great floor plan, plenty of space. We loved it. Um, but as our kids were getting older, they're now 8 and 10, having a house on the side of a mountain isn't the best thing for them to be able to play. Kid was trying to play soccer, and his ball rolls 100 yards down a hill, into the bear's den. Um, so we, we began to look around like, what, okay, I need something else. So I'm, I'm working on a house as a handyman. Um, just up the road, I'm doing some small drywall work and paint and uh, repairing some deck boards. And I begin to look around at this house. I'm like, this thing is awesome. Uh, I, so I asked, I said, well, what, are you guys getting ready to sell? He's like, yeah, we're, we're going to be putting it on the market. That's what we're getting it ready for. I was like, well, what if you don't? What if, what if I just buy this thing before it gets the 50%? Markup. I didn't say that part out loud. Um, but before it gets the 50% markup on the market. And so we ended up working out a deal and it was great. Huge three-story house, very reasonable price. And the best part, the backyard, it opened up like it was an acre and a half. 
three quarters of an acre of perfectly flat land that backed up to a creek. And even kind of a little mountain view, you don't get that in Asheville. You do not get three quarters of an acre of flat land uh, up the mountain. It just, it's unheard of. It was perfect. So we ended up, he accepted our offer. We got our house on the market, getting it ready. Everything was right in the world until it wasn't. Uh, there was one little small detail. And he mentioned this to me on the back porch, but it was kind of like just brushed over and I didn't think anything of it. He said on the other side of the creek, there's a pond and they do some fishing tournaments over there. And I heard that as that's awesome. Like I'll take my kid, we'll go fishing when they're not using it. Maybe we'll even get really good. We'll start winning some money. He can actually pay for his way around this house. I thought it was going to be awesome. So we're under contract. We, we're going to hang out, me and Lucas, and um, we decide, let's go by the pond. Let's go check it out. Um, so we drive over there, find out who's running the place, and introduce ourselves. Hey, my name's Brandon. This is Lucas. We're the new neighbors. I'm really excited. He goes, oh, so you're the new neighbor. I was like, why is he threatening me with his words? I, all I did is say, I'm going to live on the other side of this creek. So uh, interesting guy. So he starts to walk me around. He's like, there's a few things you should know. I'm like, okay. So we start walking around the pond. Every 10 feet is, is, is a, uh, a light post with a giant spotlight mounted on it and a speaker. And then there's like these string lights going around this whole thing, like a big half full acre pond. So he, he proceeds to then... Uh, get on the speaker and make an announcement just to kind of show me what it sounds like. I'm like, okay, that's a little frightening. I was like, but surely it can't happen that often. I was like, how often do you do that? He's like, well, depends on the tournament, but you know, every 10 to 12 minutes. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, how long do they, like, what's a, how long does the tournament last? He said, well, we get started so usually 5 p.m., 6 p.m., depending on the day of the week, and then we'll, we'll end about 2 or 3 a.m. I'm like, okay. Uh, well, how often do you do it? Like how often? Because the guy that was buying the house here made it sound like, eh, it's not that often. He said five nights a week. We take, we take Mondays and Wednesdays off. Oh, no. So I drive up to the house and I go, I sneak down into the backyard. I don't tell them I'm at their house that I don't own yet. And I got Lucas with me and I, I call Ashley and I put on speakerphone. And sure enough, every 10 minutes, clear as day, from the back deck, you can just hear, we got a 22-pound, four-ounce carp, 22-pound, four-ounce carp, and the snack shop is open till 2 a.m. I'm like, oh, no, what, what have we done? <laughs> Ashley starts crying, literally crying on the phone. My son's dying laughing. He just thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. So short story long, we're, we're house, our house is under contract, so we back out of it. We try to convince ourselves it won't be that bad, but it, it was going to be that bad. So we back out of that house, hottest housing market this world has ever known. So we spend six months living in my in-laws' townhome, which was basically a retirement community where they just hated us and our kids because we did things outside. <laughs> and I, we, it was terrible. So, and the whole time, I'm like, I just want to go home. I, I just want a home. I don't want to be in this tiny crowded townhouse where they're upset about my inflatable snowman anymore. Like, I, I just want to go home. I wanted a place to make memories with my family. I wanted a yard to play in with my kids. I wanted a dining room table to have holiday meals and invite neighbors and friends over. I wanted a living room to host small group and have Super Bowl parties. I just wanted to go home. 
And the truth is that desire that is in all of us goes much deeper than a house. It goes much deeper than a piece of land. That desire that, that is just a taste of that something that's much deeper. And all of the turmoil over the past few years has put in me just this deep desire just to be home. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For him to come to set up a new heavens and earth, to take away the sin, the suffering, the division, the disdain, take away all of that, God, we just want to be back home with you. The, the last time I preached here uh, was October 2016, and I actually, I showed a video and it was one of our middle school students that we had in student ministry, Noah Spivey, who ended up dying of cancer. Um, and I ran this quote by John last time I was here, so I think I'm still allowed to say it. Um, in the words only a middle school boy can say, he said, cancer sucks, but Jesus is better. Those were some of his last, last words that he said. And now don't get me wrong, I love my life. I love my family. I love what I get to do here. But we were made for something else. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That I was made for something else. There is a deep yearning inside of me. So let's take a quick trip through our past to see where that desire came from. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates man. All is well. We're created in his image and he puts us into the garden of Eden. We were home. All was good. All was right. We had everything we needed, and it was perfect. Beautiful streams of water, all the food you could ever want. No division, no harm, no sin. But that's, that's not what made it home. What made it home is that God himself was there. He was walking in the garden with us. His presence was with us. All of his goodness, all of his beauty, all of his truth, his love was right there for us to experience all the time. Eden, in reality, it was more than a garden. It was a tabernacle. That's the picture. If you actually look at the Hebrew language that, of what the author's doing, he's showing you this was where God dwelt with man perfectly. But then, as we know, things change. Genesis 3, we decide to believe a lie instead of God's good word. And what happens is everything changes. I love the way Genesis 3.8 says it. It says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wives, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So this verse, what it shows you, that, what is the impact of sin? What does sin really do at its core? Well, before, man was with God walking in the garden. It even describes the weather. I love that. It was in the cool of the day. The author is trying to paint a vivid picture. He's trying to stir up our hearts and our imaginations to what we were made for, to be with God, to dwell with him, for God to dwell with his creation. But this time something was different. Man saw he was naked, he was ashamed, he goes and hides from God, and eventually man is expelled from the garden, and he puts angels in a flaming sword at the gate. We'll come back to that idea. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Man being ousted from the garden is not the end of Scripture. God did not give up on us. Listen to Genesis 12. God makes a promise. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God picks up this lost blessing. The blessing that we forfeited through sin, 
God says, no, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to choose Abram to be blessed. And he goes further than that. He says, through this man, all nations on earth, all families will be blessed. This theme, the blessing of God, primarily through his presence, runs through the entire rest of the Bible. It is the central story that God is telling us. When Israel is later set free from Egypt, they're wandering in the desert. What happens? God's presence goes with them. They actually are instructed to build a tabernacle, this tent that God would dwell in. So each night they build this tabernacle. God sets up his presence in it. By day, they take down the tabernacle and they continue to commute. And listen to how Exodus 33, 14 through 16 describes God's presence. God speaking to Moses says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says back, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses has been wandering in the desert for years. I am sure he is tired of sand. I'm sure he has sand in every part of his body. I am sure he is tired of the heat. I am sure he is tired of eating the same thing every single day. And right there, the promised land. All of the hope, the milk and the honey and all of that flowing right right there. And what does Moses say? God, if you don't go, I don't want it. I don't care about any of that stuff. If you don't go with us, I don't want to go there. No earthly comfort or treasure could satisfy Moses apart from the presence of God. God's plan and his presence continue on with his people, Israel. Eventually, they go from this portable tabernacle to setting up a permanent temple where God's presence comes and dwells. And all of this, the temple, the tabernacle, God's presence with his people in the desert, all of this is meant to point us back to the garden where man dwelt with God. You see, through all the chaos and the wars and the idolatry of the Old Testament, one thing stands out above all of it. It's that God is determined to make sure that his plan to dwell with man will be accomplished. He will not give up on it. It does not matter. He will accomplish it so much so that he does it at the cost of his own son's life. Listen to Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, notice the language, tent, that's tabernacle. This is presence language, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. He entered in once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and cows, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, if that sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So remember, we were cast out of the garden, flaming sword, angels set there to guard it. The message was, if you want to come back home, you must die. The only way back in is through the flaming sword, is through death. And God says, I'll take that on me. I'll do it so that you can come back home. And like the prodigal uh, father running to his wayward son, who he sees off in the distance, God welcomes us home by faith. He embraces us. He clothes us in righteousness. And he invites us to his table to dine with him in his house. That's the picture of communion. When we take the Lord's Supper, that's the image that we should see. God has brought us home 
God has brought us near. God has welcomed sinners into his home, to his very dining room table, through the body and the blood of his son. Okay, so there's the background. Now let's get to the passage. What does that have to do with our passage? Well, notice the language of presence. Verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 17 and 18, and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 19 through 22, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. Why? Why the structure? Because it's in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is overflowing with joy and praise of the God who saved him, but he doesn't stop at just the forgiveness of sins. His eyes are much higher. God does the unthinkable. He comes and he makes his home in us. Do you see that? Verse 22, church, in him, we are being built together into the very dwelling place of God. The Old Testament had no category for this. This is the mystery. They had no idea this was God's plan. They were obsessed with tabernacles and temples and getting into the presence of God, pilgrimaging to where he was, trying to get back home, trying to get to his presence. And all of that was good for a time. But here we see something far more incredible. We're trying to get home and God says, don't worry about it. I'll come and make my home in you. That's the hope of the gospel. That's a far better story. My presence, God himself, coming to dwell in us and to begin to change us from the inside out. If that doesn't blow your mind, if that doesn't give you hope and joy and peace through all the tumultuous times that we're living, I, I don't know what, is, what will. But here's the trap that I think many of us have fallen into. We stop before we ever get to this truth. The gospel stops at being saved from sin, and we don't go on to talk about the God that we're saved to. We talk about Christ dying on the cross so that we're no longer guilty, and we forget to talk about the God that rescued us back to himself. See, Christianity is less about you getting into heaven one day, and it's more about getting heaven into you right now. Let me say that again. Christianity is less about you getting into heaven one day, and it's more about getting heaven into you right here, right now. That's what Paul is saying here, and it changes everything. It completely changes our view. See, if, if Christianity is simply a prayer that we pray and a line that we repeat so that when we die, we're good, well, then we're wasting most of our time in church. We're wasting most of our time in the Bible. It, it goes on to describe all these other things. No, I got the main thing. I'm, I'm good. See, for, for much of my life, I did not understand this. I believed what I call a gospel of, of death. Jesus died so that I could die to myself, so that when I died, I could go to heaven. That was basically the extent of the gospel for me. Life didn't matter very much. I mean, of course, you got to do good things, and you're supposed to try to be a decent person. And I mean, that, that stuff matters, sure. But really, it's just about getting to heaven when we die, or trying to get other people to pray that same prayer. 
I heard people say that trying to do a bunch of good things in life are like rearranging the decks on the Titanic, right? Like the whole ship's going down. It's all going to burn anyway. What, don't waste your time with things that don't matter. But that's not what Paul says. And it's not what John says. John 3.16, it's our, our, our favorite verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? Well, thankfully, John tells us, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is less about a quantity of life, and it's more about a quality of life. That's what John's telling us. Yes, it, it lasts forever, but it's more about the quality of life of being connected to the presence of God who created us to abide in him. And that doesn't just start one day when we die. It starts here, and it starts now. God himself is the prize of the gospel. He is the treasure that we were saved to. John Piper, in his book, God is the Gospel, he asks this question, and we have to consider it. And I don't think any of us believe this perfectly. I know I don't. But listen to what he asks. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? That all the other stuff thrown in, but Jesus himself were not there, would you be happy? Would you be fulfilled? Would you be satisfied? It's something that we, we have to wrestle with, and, and I don't know most of the people in this room, I know like five of you, they're all sitting like right, right there, my parents and John and his girls. But beyond that, I, I don't know the ins and outs of your life, your hopes, your dreams, your failures, your sins. I, I, I don't know that. But here's what I do know that's true of all of us. It's only the presence of God working in our lives that will ultimately fulfill us, that will ultimately satisfy us. My friends and family, uh, we have this ongoing joke probably because we're super cynical um, and sarcastic. But instead of just enjoying things when somebody gets them, we just immediately turn to making fun of the person for getting them. So my buddy got a boat. And instead of just celebrating and the joy of, man, you worked hard to save up for this. And I bet you're, you're going to make a bunch of memories here. No, we don't do that. We just immediately, man, I bet you'll finally be happy. I, I think that's what you were, you know, all these years of you being not satisfied in your life, I think this is the thing. I think you finally got it. I do it with my kids too. Lucas will get a Lego set. And the first thing I do, hey man, you happy? Did that fulfill you? Think you'll finally be satisfied? You'll never want again? And we know it's easy to make fun of those things, especially in other people. But man, we all chase after it. We're all looking for that thing that will satisfy us. Whether it's a large social media following. Maybe it's financial freedom to travel the world and not have to do the nine to five. Maybe it's just a job promotion and the status that that will bring, the validation that you'll finally have after working so hard. Or maybe it's your just family having it all together, just looking good, that model family in the community. We all have that thing dangling out there for us. And we think that God doesn't relate to it because we stop with a prayer that says, I'm forgiven, and then we just try to get back to life. And we feel empty. So we chase after those things, and they don't satisfy, and we're, we're, we're stuck. We don't know where to turn. But here's the truth. The prayer, life, or faith in Christ, it's just the beginning. It's the doorway to life in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. 
It's the doorway to life in Christ, daily abiding, making our home in the presence of God for the first time in our lives, being both fully known and fully loved. Someone knowing the deepest, darkest secrets, the dirtiest, most corrupt places of your life, and still saying, I love you. You are forgiven. Son, daughter, come home. I love you. And here's the crazy thing. When we're seeking God's presence, when we're inviting him to move in our lives and our churches and our families and our communities, all he has to do is show up and everything changes. I, I don't know how it works. I, I can't explain it. I've experienced it. I've seen it in the lives of people around me. We read about it in history, but the presence of God shows up and things start to change. Marriages are healed. Addictions are broken. Sins are confessed and forgiven. People are made whole again. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, you called, you shouted, you broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance and I gasped. And now I pant for you. I tasted you and now I hunger and thirst. You touched me and I burned for your peace. Or the psalmist says it this way in Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. How do we define life? Presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. God shows up and everything changes. It's what we were made for. It is our home. Okay, so what do we do with this? What Monday morning comes, you're waking up, you're ready to go to work. We're ready to go to school, ready to get the house in order. What do we do with this truth? Well, illustration that comes to mind, my kids and I, we go to the beach every summer and there's a, there's a swimming pool. And we usually have a beach ball with us and you know, you hitting it back and forth and you playing, playing with it. Well, inevitably someone gets the idea of like, let's see how long we can keep this thing underwater. And you know, my eight-year-old daughter's like jumping on top of it. She's like holding it and it's flipping her like a bucking bronco. You can't do it. Like, you can hold it underwater for so long, but the only way to ultimately hold it underwater is just destroy it, pop a hole in it and destroy what it is. Its purpose was not to be underwater. It can't sustain that way. You were made to live in the presence of God. You are not made to seek after the lower things of this world. They will not satisfy. If we chase after them, we will be destroyed. We are like the beach ball trying to get back up to the surface. All of the heartache and pain that come from seeking the wrong things is actually God's gift to you, to bring you back to himself. He wants you to rise back up, to come home, and to make your home in him. C.S. Lewis has this great illustration. He says, we, we, we pray the prayer, we start following God, and he comes into our house, and we think, God, yeah, just come and sweep the floors, put some paint on the wall, and let's just kind of tidy things up, and I'm good. Can you kind of go? And he says, that, that's not what God's about. God is coming into your life he is going to tear the thing down to the foundation. He's going to rip the drywall off. He's going to destroy the studs because he's not interested in just making a little house better. He's interested in building you into a palace, into a temple where God himself will come and dwell in you. That's what God's doing. That's the hope of the gospel. God's presence in you, transforming you from the inside out so that you can enjoy him and that you can impact everyone around you. Let's pray. God, we uh, just pause this morning. God, I confess that my eyes are so much lower than where they should be. I, I sat hanging out with a buddy the other night, just 
bemoaning all the troubles in this world and politics and community and family and all of it. And we just get distracted and we get our eyes set on these things that, yeah, they matter. God, but the only hope for all of them, God, is your presence showing up. God, the only hope that I have is that you would come in and you would rip out all of the pride, the idolatry, the arrogance, and that you would set up yourself as Lord of my life fully. God, that I would know you. And it is crazy. Your presence simply shows up. I try to work. I try to strategize, build systems. I try to do all of this, God, and you show up and things happen. God, so we invite you into our lives for that. God, that's what we want. We want to see marriages healed. We want to see people that are far off from you right now that can't imagine following you, that can't imagine hope and life in you. We want to see them brought to their knees in repentance and lifted up in love. God, go into the waters of baptism and be raised to a newness of life. God, please do that. Do that here in this community. God, we want to see renewal. God, we want you just to change us. We want something different, God, but it doesn't start in our country until it starts in our church and in our communities. It doesn't start in our communities until it starts in our churches. It doesn't start there until our families. It doesn't start in our families until it starts with us. God, so light our hearts on fire as individuals for you. May we start each day asking for you. May we stop at lunchtime seeking you and being aware of where you're already working and moving. God, may we be a people of your presence. God, that's what we were made for, and our hearts will be restless until they find their final rest in you, God. So give us that rest. Give us yourself. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.